Well, I hope to do the same thing. I hope to raise this same anthem. I hope to do what Ryan said this morning already. My aim this morning is worship, plain and simple, genuine worship. That should be our one aim this morning as we look at this text. We would worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Sunday morning we sing. But do we worship? Do we sing from the heart? This is my big question today. What makes your heart sing? What is it that makes your heart sing? It's been said that there are more lies told on Sunday morning in America than all week long. And that's, that's a jab at us. That's a jab at heartless hymn singing. But it's a sober reminder of what Jesus said. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. God forbid that would be us. God forbid that would be us. And nearly every Sunday we celebrate the Lord's Supper, just as we just did. A lot of people say that if you do that every Sunday, it's going to become routine, boring, some sort of ritual. And again, God forbid that would be us. But we know how easy it is our hearts to be just dull to these things. We just sang prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. How quick these things can become routine. How we're just so prone to go through the motions every week. We read from Matthew every time we take the Lord's Supper almost. I want you today to try to imagine what was going on there in that scene. When, when the Lord said, take, eat, this is my body. Do you realize that they sang that night? Have you ever thought about that? the fact that Jesus sang? It should be obvious, but have you ever really thought about it? What a glorious image that is. Jesus singing. And that same scripture that we read from Matthew 26, when they finished the Passover, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, to the, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know what happened there. It said, can you imagine? Would you, wouldn't you want to be a fly on the wall? Wouldn't you want to know what it was they sung that night? On the way to Gethsemane? Well, he sang something very familiar. It's like some of these songs are familiar to us. The disciples were familiar with this. They knew it by heart. They had grown up singing this hymn. It was probably as familiar to them as Amazing Grace is to us. But did they realize what they were singing? Did they worship that night rightly? Or did they miss 
One of the most glorious moments in history. Brothers and sisters, let us not miss this. Let us not be slow of heart. Instead, I want want our hearts to burn as we study these things today. As we think about the songs of Christ on his way to the cross. That's what we're going to see. Let's pray. Oh, great God, we call upon you now. We praise your holy name. We acknowledge with this hymn that you are high above all things. You've created all things and you're above all things and there's none like you. But we also joyfully acknowledge that you are a God who comes down, who looks far down, who rescues the poor and needy. And I pray, Father, that you would show us your glory. Pray, Father, that you would show us the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, here today. Show us the glory of the incarnate one who wrote this and who sang this and who accomplished this for us. Help us to worship. Help us to be worshipers of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Help us to praise the Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Every week we recite scripture. As Ryan said, it's almost like he was looking at my notes. We recite scripture and we pray and we sing. We typically do that before and after the Lord's Supper. And it was and still is a Jewish tradition to do the same thing. To sing the Halil, H-A-L-L-E-L, as a part of nearly every biblical Festival, especially the Passover and the Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. The Halil is a group of six psalms, and we're going to look at that today. So turn to those psalms. Psalm 113, 114, 115, 116, 117, 118. It's called the Halil. Let's see. Song and scripture and prayer all at the same time. This is the hymn. This is the hymn that's sung as a part of Passover, the Halil. It was typically sung in two parts. Psalm 113 and 114. And then the rest, 115 through 118. When the Passover is celebrated, they would retell the Passover story. And they would uh, begin the Passover ceremony. And they would, at the point in which they got to the second cup, they would raise the second cup. And they would give words of thanksgiving. And they would say, let's sing a new song. And they would sing Psalm 113 and Psalm 114. And they would proceed. Until the end of the ceremony, then they would sing the rest, 115 through 118. And at the end, curiously enough, they would repeat the last few verses of Psalm 118. And so with an eye to worshiping Jesus from the heart, 
want us to meditate on these psalms, the Halil, from, from three different perspectives. I want us to, to imagine what it was like to sing this before Jesus. And what it would have been like to sing this with Jesus. And what it should be now. After Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 113. 113 is a call to praise. To praise the one true God who is high above the heavens, but who comes down to help his people. It says, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of His people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And that phrase, praise the Lord, is where the term halil comes from. The King James would translate it, praise ye the Lord. Because you have this word halil, which means praise, and then ooh, hallelujah. This is the phrase that we sing, hallelujah. Praise ye, Yah, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. This is a call to worship not just any God, but the God, Yahweh. The God who created heaven and earth. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who gave the law at Mount Sinai, who told David he would have an everlasting kingdom. The God who became flesh and dwelt among us, that's the God who we're called to praise here from this time forth forevermore from the rising of the sun to its setting. Praise ye, Lord. It's a call to praise His transcendence. Who is like the Lord our God? None. He's holy and transcendent. High above everything. We're also called to praise His condescension, His gracious condescension. This high, 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 holy, holy God looks far down. He comes far down to help, to rescue. He raises the poor from the dust This God does this. Praise the Lord. Psalm 14 then remembers the Exodus. This high God who came down to rescue His people. It celebrates God's power and His presence and His provision in redeeming His people out of Egypt. They celebrate this. Listen to what they celebrate at the Passover. It says, when Israel went out from Egypt, 
The house of Jacob from a people of strange language. Judah became his sanctuary. Israel, his domain. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs, tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water and the flint into a spring of water. Just before the second cup of the Passover, they sing this. They remember this, the exodus, the birth of their nation. Their great God had come down to, to crush their enemies and deliver them out of Egypt into their land. And they sing this with these poetic lines of powerful presence. This powerful presence of God that affects creation. The Red Sea looked and fled and the, 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 they walked across on dry ground. And the Jordan turned back as the Ark of the Covenant marched forward. The Lord of all the earth. The mountains skipped as God thundered the law. And now the whole world, the whole earth is called to tremble. How often do you tremble? The Lord. Tremble at the Lord. And then they would take the Passover. And then when they were finished, they would sing the rest of this, starting at Psalm 115. This is now an exhortation to these people post-Passover to remember and trust in the Lord despite an apparent absence of His power. Despite being in the midst of scoffing and in a land of idolatry under oppression, this psalm moves from remembrance to reality, to hope. I want you to see that. I want you to imagine yourself like the Israelites doing this year in and year out. They've just called for the whole earth to tremble at God, yet... It's as if they were back in Egypt. They're under bondage, back under the oppression of people of a strange language. And they're surrounded by idolaters. And as they remember the Passover, imagine them singing Psalm 115 under the Assyrian rule. Or the Babylonians. Or the Persians. Or the Romans. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness, why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. 
We sing tremble at the presence of the Lord. And they say back to us, where's your God? How easy would it be to say in your heart, that's a really good question. How easy would it be just to give up and assimilate into their culture? Just start worshiping their gods. Worship the gods of your conquerors. Or to grow angry and hateful and then begin to worship your own idol, just a God who is coming with vengeance, a God of politics. This song is supposed to remind them of this transcendent God that's higher than the heavens that they sang about in 113. The song is supposed to remind them of the foolishness of the idolatry around them. And it's supposed to remind them to trust in the Lord. It's a call to faith. Verse 9, you can see that. Oh, Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, but we will. The dead do not praise the Lord, no do any who go down in silence, but we will. We will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. More, praise the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is remembered as he is not forgotten. He will bless us. He will. Then there's this little hint of a better day, of an eternal day. When those who worship dead idols are dead in trespasses and sins, and the dead do not praise the Lord. But guess what? We do. And we will. Then Psalm 116 moves from this corporate mindset to this personal testimony. There's a personal testimony of severe distress and prayer and deliverance, a return to this corporate praise of the Lord. Some think this is a personal testimony from one of David's many near-death conflicts, and others see it as the Messiah himself. The Babylonian Talmud refers it to this as the sorrows of the Messiah. Either way, I'm sure that the pious Israelite trapped in a land of idolatry and oppression could easily identify with the psalmist here I want you to listen for these four elements. As you look at this psalm, there's distress, distress and anguish, prayer, deliverance, and praise. The psalmist says, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. 
The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray. Deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death and my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'm doing it right now, by the way. I will lift up the cup of salvation. And call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord or the death of his saints. Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant. The son of your maidservant, you have loosed my bonds. Praise the Lord. That's not in there, by the way. I added that. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Distress, prayer, deliverance, praise. The psalmist here knows what it's like. He he knows personally God's deliverance from soul anguish and near death, and he wants others to know about it. What a question. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits? What's your answer? Praise the Lord. And then there's this little thing, Psalm 117. I can't even summarize it because the summary would be longer than the text. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol him, all peoples, for great is his steadfast love toward us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. This little psalm stuck in the middle of the Halil has caused much controversy in the Jewish tradition. Much confusion. Why would all the nations praise the God of Israel? Doesn't make sense. Imagine the Israelite living in the midst of oppression in a land of mocking and idolatry. Where is your God? What's he supposed to think about this? What's he supposed to do with this text? In the middle of his Passover celebration. Is he supposed to join now in calling his idolatrous neighbor, his oppressor, into forsaking their idols and come worship Yahweh with him? Is that what he's supposed to do? 
Why would the nations have reason to praise the Lord for his steadfast love and faithfulness if it's exclusively for Israel? Listen to a couple of actual sermon excerpts from a modern-day Jewish sermon on 117. The rabbi says, Stanza 1 is an appeal to praise the Lord and its target being all nations. Stanza 2 is the rationale for this appeal, God's eternal love shown to us. This gives rise to a baffling question. What business do the nations of the world have here? Think about the disciples before they met Jesus. Did they believe this psalm right here? Did they understand it? Or did they just mouth the words like we do sometimes? Last, Psalm 118 is different. This is sort of the crescendo of the whole celebration. This is a picture, and I want you to get it in your mind. This is a picture of a triumphant royal procession where the people of Israel are following their victorious king on the way to the temple to present this sacrifice of thanksgiving. Get that in your mind. A part of this points back to 116, and it recounts the king's near-death experience and his personal testimony of deliverance. If you remember 116, he talks about, I'm going to make a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And now this is that procession. This is that procession. Victory has now been had, even though he's going to remember some of those things. And victory has been had, and now the whole nation proceeds into the temple. And this psalm is meant to be read responsively. If I'd have had time and we were maybe just looking at this one psalm, I would have had a responsive reading. I would have had some characters up here. and We would have been going back and forth. But I want you to imagine this scene, this triumphal, victorious procession in which the priest and the king and the people and even the gatekeepers are having this conversation. It starts out with the priest. Verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. And then the king says, Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. And then the people who are following him say, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And the king says, all nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me. They surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And the people respond, glad songs. 
of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And the king says, remembering the episode, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And the gatekeepers say, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And the king praises God and says, I thank you. You have answered me and you have become my salvation. And the people say, and this is part of what they repeat, by the way. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The priests say, we bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords through the horns of the altar. And the king and the people say, you are my God. I give you thanks. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Now, that's how the disciples probably imagined it as they did that year after year growing up before they met Jesus. But what about this night? They had a familiarity with this, but did they understand this? This is probably like most nights when they had taken the Lord's Supper. They heard Psalm 113 and Psalm 114, but then Jesus sort of changes up everything when He says, one of you is going to betray me. And then He says, this is my body which is broken for you. While they were singing Psalm 118, when they sang, save us we pray, O Lord, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. What were they thinking? They had just heard this. They had just witnessed this a few days earlier. When they're singing this, about this triumphal procession in Psalm 118, did they not remember Sunday? Palm Sunday? When they heard Hosanna? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Did it click? And they had witnessed this. They were living this out. But you know what? The Gospel of John is not very flattering about them. He says his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. But you know what? The, 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 the religious leaders, I think they understood more about what was going on than disciples did. Because when the chief priests and the scribes heard and saw the people crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, it says they were indignant. They told Jesus, make them stop. 
Do you hear what they're saying? They heard. The next day, they challenged Jesus again in the temple. And his disciples got to hear another quote from the Hallel. As they confront him, and he gives them two parables about their own destruction, he says, have you never read the scriptures? They were singing from Psalm 118, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he quotes from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, and he's talking right to them, he says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Even to a people producing fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. And it says the chief priest knew he was talking about them. I wonder if the Pharisees remembered that moment a couple days later when they took the Passover and sang the Hallelujah. I wonder if the disciples might have thought twice about this moment as they sang the Hallelujah. They should have. Remember, they sang that part twice. And they still do to this very day. They sing that twice. The disciples barely had a clue that they were literally walking and talking and singing glad songs of salvation with salvation incarnate. They were singing hallelujah with Yahshua. Imagine them all sitting at that table and they're singing Psalm 113 about this Lord that's high above all the nations who is like our God. He's above heaven and earth. They sing about this one true, high and holy and transcendent God and He's literally sitting right there with them. It's stunning. Talk about condescension. The Word became flesh. And, and more than that, do you remember what Jesus did right before they sang this psalm of condescension? He washed their feet. Talk about God who comes down and raises the poor out of the dust. He washes the dust off your feet. What a glorious fulfillment. The humbling of God for his people. Do you realize, do you think Peter realized when he said, Lord, do you wash my feet? What he was saying. I just want to ask you, who is like the Lord our God? There was more humbling to come, though. Remember, this is the one who humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And they were singing about it. They probably sung this a hundred times. And the words they now sang, they were about to witness. They were living it out. They would soon walk with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, witness him suffer anguish and distress. Like no man had ever suffered. 
They would soon fall asleep as he stumbled and prayed about a cup of salvation. They would soon witness the pangs of Sheol lay hold on him. They would see him surrounded on every side, surrounded like bees. They would see him pushed hard and fall. They would see the snares of death encompass him. They would see him disciplined severely, but they would also not see him given over to death. They, they would see him die yet live. They would see his soul delivered from death, and they would see him again walking in the land of living. You hear all these texts just popping out of the Halil? They're singing this, and they're living it, and they don't even get it. They may not have understood, but Jesus did. Jesus understood. These were his words. He designed these words. He recorded these words. He learned these words. He sang these words. He endured these words. He accomplished these words. This is Jesus' final hymn appointed by him and for him. Centuries earlier. What was on his mind as he sang this hymn? I, I can't think of a scripture that would better help us to imagine this moment than, than from Hebrews 12 too, when it says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. There's two things going on in his mind as he sings these songs of his own suffering to come. And I can't think of anything more chilling than the very last words he sang in 118. Think about as he sings bind the festal sacrifice with cords. Upon the horns of the altar. Remember Isaac when he was saying to Abraham as they walked up Mount Moriah, he goes, where's the lamb? Jesus knew the answer to that question. I'm the Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. I'm the Lamb. I'm the festal sacrifice that's about to be bound with cords upon the altar. I'm the burnt offering. I'm the one about to be led like a lamb to slaughter. I'm the one who's about to have the sins of his people laid on his head. Jesus saying here about the exodus and the idolatrous oppressors of God's people. He knew he was about to face a greater enemy than Pharaoh or Goliath or the Babylonians or Nebuchadnezzar or Rome or Caesar. In a few hours, he would conquer sin, death, and the devil as he faced the wrath of God. This was the cause of his anguish and distress in 16, 116. This was the cause of his repeated statements. My soul is troubled, sorrowful, even unto death. This was the cause of his earnest prayers and great drops of blood in Gethsemane. 
And he would soon be mocked. Just like his people were always mocked. Where is their God? He was mocked the same way from the cross as he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They mocked him saying, He trusts in God. Let God save him. Where is this God? How hard is it to face scoffers like that? And trust God when God's not there. How hard is it to follow that command of Psalm 115? Oh, Israel, just trust in the Lord. Just trust in the Lord. Jesus did just that. Peter, 30 years later, would say, you know, when he was reviled, he didn't revile back. But he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. And God would make his presence known at the cross. That night when they sang, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, by the end of the very next day, what happened? Jesus cries out on the cross. He gives up his spirit. And it says, The earth trembled. And the Roman soldier said, Truly, this is the Son of God. Hallelujah. Truly is the Son of God. Jesus knew what he was singing about that night. The disciples would slowly come to realize what they were singing about that night. You can see it in Peter. You can see it in his preaching in Acts chapter 2. You can see it as he faces the Jewish council in Acts chapter 4. You can see it in their prayers about Psalm uh, 2 in Acts chapter 4. They realized they were living out these things they'd grown up singing and hearing. They were living it out. You can see it in Peter's writings 30 years later. You can see it in the life of Paul and in the letters of Paul. Remember when Paul was in the jail in Acts 16? This is the other place where this word hymns is found. They were singing hymns at midnight. They were singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening. What do you think they were singing? What hymns do you think they were singing? They didn't have a hymn book. Perhaps something they were familiar with. What would make your heart want to sing in prison? Maybe a song to the God who is high above all nations, who looks far down, who raises the poor out of the dust, who causes the earth to tremble, who hears and inclines his ear to your pleas for mercy. Can you imagine Paul and Silas at midnight calling upon the name of the Lord in front of all these prisoners with their feet in stocks saying, I suffer distress and anguish. Oh Lord, please deliver my soul. I'm your servant. You've loosed my bonds. Can you imagine them singing these things? The Lord is on my side. What can man do to me? Save us, O oh Lord. Can you imagine what the prisoners might be thinking? Where's their God? I'll tell you what. In just a few minutes, everything changed. The earth trembled. The foundations of the prison were shaken and the gates flung wide open and everyone, quote, everyone's bonds were loose. And before that night was over, the jailer and his household were singing glad songs of salvation. Paul was rescued like this over and over. 
And every one of these temporal deliverances, he connected with his ultimate eternal deliverance. Remember how he starts out in 2 Corinthians? When he, when he tells the Corinthians, Brothers, I don't, want you, I don't want you to be unaware of this affliction we experienced in Asia. Man, we felt like we'd been, we had the sentence of death. We were burdened beyond our strength. And he said, this was to cause us to rely upon God who raises the dead. He delivered us once, he'll deliver us again. He believed it. He trusted God's deliverance in every situation because he knew God raises the dead. How did he know? He'd met Jesus. He was confident. He preached Christ crucified and risen and he believed it. He believed it. And he believed that his resurrection was secured by Jesus' resurrection. And he lived his life that way. Constantly in near death distress. My favorite chapter in the Bible is Paul just unfolding this and then quoting the Hallel. He says, we're afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Then he quotes the Hallel. He says, but since we have the same spirit of faith, same spirit of faith as who? The, the guy who wrote Psalm 116? Since we have the same spirit of faith according to, faith, according to what is written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and we also speak knowing, he says. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus. Bring us all into his presence. Paul knew he would walk before the Lord in the land of the living. He had the same spirit of faith as the psalmist and absolute confidence in the resurrection. The same God who freed Israel is the same God who raised Jesus and he's the same God who's going to raise us. This is what kept Paul from losing heart. He understood the same spirit of faith, the same thing. This momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. To me, that's his summary of the Hallel. This same spirit of faith has continued throughout church history. It's been a critical source of strength and hope in many a distressed saint, in martyr, and none more famous than Martin Luther. Luther loved the Psalms. He loved Psalm 118. It was his favorite. He called it his beloved Psalm. Listen, he said, this is my own beloved Psalm. Although the entire Psalter and all of Holy Scripture are dear to me, as my only comfort and source of life, I fell in love with this Psalm especially. Therefore, I call it my own. And his favorite verse was verse 17. He had a plaque on his wall of Psalm 118, verse 17. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount 
the deeds of the Lord. And if you know anything about Luther's life and troubles, you could probably understood why this was such a source of strength for him. How many times do you think he prayed and processed through his mind, the Lord is on my side, the Lord is on my side, I shall not fear. What can man do to me? It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. He said, when emperors and kings, the wise and the learned, even the saints could not aid me, this psalm proved a friend. It helped me out of many great troubles. And as a result, you see how it became his favorite psalm? As a result, it is clear to me that all wealth, honor, and power of the Pope, the Turk, or the Emperor, I would be most willing to trade this psalm for it all. Is God's word that precious to you? Where is your strength, Grace Community Church? Where is your hope? Where is your help in times of great trouble? And what makes your heart sing? What makes your heart sing? Can you sing along with the disciples and Paul and Luther and the martyrs? The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. We may never experience their level of suffering for his name's sake. But listen to me. Every moment of trial, every little temporal deliverance that you have as a child of God, should be a reminder, like Paul, should be a reminder of our ultimate eternal Deliverance, and just one more occasion to sing glad songs of salvation to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I just want to finish by asking you this. Is there um, anything in these psalms that would make you sing hallelujah from the heart? I just want to suggest a few. Man, there, there's plenty. But the first I just want to is, is prayer. I love the Lord because he listens. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I don't know how it is we get numb to that, but that's unbelievable. Remember 113, the Lord is high above the nations. He's way, he's gone, he's a long way. Holy, infinite, transcendent. We're dust. But that's who listens to my voice. I can hardly get my wife to listen to my voice. But the eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, infinite, holy, holy, transcendent. That God listens. He inclines his ear to me. Quote. That's unbelievable. 
and true. God hears his people. Especially in distress. The Lord is on my side. The gospel proves that. No wonder Paul can say, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Hallelujah. I thought about today. As we, ride, just as we rode here, passing house after house that will not call upon the name of the Lord today. How unfortunate. The Lord doesn't hear their prayers. He's not on their side. It says here, praise ye the Lord, O servants. Here's another one. Righteousness. The imagery in Psalm 118. It just really makes my heart sing. Just imagine again, here's the king standing at the gates after his bloody near-death victory and he demands the gates to be opened. He says, open to me the gates of righteousness. And the gatekeepers say, this is the gate of the Lord. The righteous enter here. You see, that's the problem. Only the righteous shall enter the kingdom of God. The scene is so, so similar to Psalm 24. Who will ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who will stand on his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, that's the problem. Only the righteous shall enter, and only those with a clean hands and a pure heart. But you know what? The gates fling wide open for the righteous king. The gates of righteousness sing wide open for the sinless Son of God. And if that were all there was to the story, that would not be good news. But here's the beautiful part. This is what should make your heart sing. The gates fly wide open for the righteous king of glory, but notice they do not close. The gates don't close behind him. He's not the only one who goes in. Remember, this is a processional. All his people are right behind him. They follow him in. You don't hear the gatekeeper say another word. They're not checking IDs. If you're following the king, you're in. Period. The gates of righteousness have been opened for us. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Just get behind Him and let's go. It should make your heart sing. Remember Luther's favorite line? I shall not die, but I shall live. Do you believe that? No, do you, do you believe that? I shall not die, but I shall live. Then why do you fear? Why do you fear? Why do you worry? Why do you chase after the things of the world? Why do you wait? Why don't you just throw yourselves fully into the service of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Why don't you tell others? Why don't you sing? Man, from this pulpit, I know it's been said more than once. If the resurrection is true, it changes everything. I shall not die. How can we be numb to that? Praise the Lord. I shall not die. All around singing of the Hallel that night, Jesus had been reminding them of this great truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Because I live, you shall live. Brothers and sisters, he's alive. Because he lives, you who are in Christ shall live. Let us have the same spirit of faith, the same rock-solid confidence that we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we'll live. Let us know for certain that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us with him. Can you imagine that day? Can you imagine that day? The day that the Lord has made? We should rejoice. It should be marvelous in our eyes. And there's a little scene in Psalm 117 of what it's going to look like. Praise the Lord, all nations. Praise the Lord, all nations. Why? Because great is his steadfast love for us. His steadfast love and faithfulness is so great it encompasses all the nations. Our end is not the grave. Our end is the house of the Lord in the midst of the saints from every nation singing glad songs of salvation forever. Shouting hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you don't like that now, you're not going to like it then. They sang a new song. Worthy is the Lamb. The one that was tied and bound. Worthy is the Lamb. Now standing, the one who redeemed a people by his blood from every tribe and nation. But you know what? The only place, look it up, the only place you're going to see the word hallelujah in the English Bible is Revelation 19. And guess what they quote? The hallelujah. John who sang that night with Jesus, records this. He says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great, I don't know if you caught that, but it says from the throne. The voice, that sentence came from the throne. The king is singing that line from the throne. What's he singing? The hallelujah. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless those who fear the Lord, His servant, both great and small. 
And the very next line, the very next section is, guess what? Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is the final procession. And this is the last and everlasting Lord's Supper. When he comes, our glorious King, with his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah. The Savior. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. Of all praise, forgive us for being so stingy and holding it back and being so dull and not singing glad songs of salvation every day. God, help us to be a people. Fill us with the same spirit of faith to be a people who see your glory. And who understand the benefits that you have wrought for us. You, our glorious King, have flung open the gates of righteousness. Let us rejoice in this day. Let us have a greater view of eternity and long for the day in which we can dwell with you forever and ever. In your presence, raised from the dead. Help us to live light. Live life in the light of eternity, Lord. Help us. It's so hard. It's so hard. Father, I pray that those who are suffering in this church right now would look to these words and find strength and hope. And the day when the day comes, if we're not suffering now, we will. And when that day comes, Lord, that we would look to these same words. That we would be your church. Who seeks your strength from your word and the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. May he be always praised. Praise unto the Lord. Hallelujah. In Christ's name, amen.